Welcome to the Creekwood Church Podcast. Creekwood is growing and we are so excited about the Future West Campus. If you're interested in learning more about the building project, visit creekwoodchurch.com beyond or click the Beyond button on the Creekwood Church app. We hope this message inspires and encourages your faith. When Pastor Stephen asked me to speak in the Truth series, um, I, had a, I had mixed emotions. I was excited, but I was also very aware of the task in front of me. Because truth, although there is truth that you have for yourself, truth is one of the highly debatable topics right now. It's up in the air. Like truth is questionable. In fact, not only is it questionable right now, throughout human history, truth is something that has always been challenged. Now, here's what I wanna just kinda jump off and, and, and say this at the beginning. Challenging truth is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a big deal. In fact, I appreciate the challengers. I love it that we have people who are willing to challenge what is truth. In fact, I believe through challenges like we have as a human race arrived at some discoveries that has helped human history. You think about, uh, I don't know, like the people for a long time who uh, they for a long time really believed that the truth was that the earth was flat. It was flat. We had some people that decided to challenge that truth, put it to the test, and after they put it to the test, they were able to provide evidence to us, and now we know that the earth is round. Now, I realize there are still people that believe the earth is flat. I don't know what to do with that, though. (laughs) The evidence is there. Here's the, the real kind of problem and challenge that we have whenever presenting truth. For a long time, um, authority is is where we kind of looked for truth, especially like as kids, as they grow up, they look at adults as authority figures and whatever they say goes, that's truth, right? But as we get older, we start questioning that. Why? Why do I have to do that? It's time to go to bed, why? Put your phone up. Why? You can't go out on Friday night. Why? Start challenging that truth. What they're really wanting is evidence as to why that truth is really truth. Authority will tell you what to do. Here's kind of our big idea for this series. Truth isn't something that you make up. Truth is something you discover something you discover. Now let's kind of bring this into our space today when it comes to faith. As Christians, what's truth to us? Where does our truth come from? And more importantly, how do we know that it is actually truth? See, for Christians, I think most of us would say that the Bible, that this is truth. This is what we hold dear. This is what we trust. This is what we live by. This is what we try to apply. How do we know that this, in fact, is truth, though? Because the Bible makes a lot of claims about itself. The Bible says a lot of things about what it actually is. We have it recorded in this Bible. 
Jesus even starts speaking of it. One of, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite passages is from John chapter eight. It's our main passage that we're using for this series. And Jesus is having this conversation and he starts talking about the truth. And there's some confusion. But here's what he says. Starting in verse 31, it says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Now, here's what's interesting. The Bible says that the people he's talking to had what? Believed him. They were on the same page. So they thought. And Jesus says this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the what? The truth. And the what? The truth will set you free. But they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And they started this conversation, there was a misunderstanding. They thought they were talking about a physical slavery. And they're like, Jesus, we're, we're not enslaved to anyone, which is interesting because the nation of Israel, these Jews had a history of being enslaved physically speaking. But Jesus wasn't talking about a physical freedom. He was talking about spiritual freedom. It's the same conversation that he has later on in John with Caesar when he's brought to Caesar and Jesus and Caesar are having this conversation and, and Caesar's like, hey, aren't you a king? And Jesus is like, do you say that I'm a king? And he's like, well, aren't you here to establish a kingdom? And Caesar goes on to, or Jesus goes on to say, well, listen, if my kingdom was here, my followers wouldn't have let me be turned over to you. I'm here to establish something different. I'm here to give witness to the truth. And Caesar asked a really important question. What is truth? What is truth? I think it's a fair question. I think it's a question that even Christians will struggle with. Non-believers really will struggle with. What is truth? And so today, here's where I wanna go with this. If this is truth, how do we know that this is truth? Because here's my experience, maybe this is yours. At a young age, I grew up in church. I went to kids' church, I heard Bible stories and I had adults tell me, hey, this is the Bible, this is God's word, this is something you can trust and live by and everything in it is true. And I believed them. Then I grew up and I was confronted with questions that I couldn't answer. I was, I was given perspectives I had never considered. I started hearing things like, hey, um, don't you know that there are many different changes that are in the Bible? Hey, don't you know that there are a ton of manuscripts floating around that we have from long ago that have differences in them? Don't you know that the Bible has been translated so many times and since it's been translated, it's been watered down, the message has been changed, it's unreliable now. Don't you know that the Bible was written by men, that it's old, the Bible's unreliable? Questions that I couldn't answer. And with all of this, how is it we can trust the Bible. And more importantly, how can we trust that the Bible is God's inspired word? Because if this isn't God's word, there's a lot at stake. Not just eternity, but even this life. Purpose, freedom, meaning. But if this is true, 
if this is God's word, man, then we can't read it enough. We can't live by it enough. We can't apply it enough. We can't cherish it enough because this isn't something that just helps you arrive at an opinion, but this is something that will transform your life. So today, I wanna do my best to try and present to you some evidence as to why Christians can trust that the Bible is God's word, that this is truth, that we can trust it and build our lives on it. But before we jump into some evidence, let me start by saying this. There's one little bitty like, little key that if you can't believe, the rest of the evidence doesn't matter. It's kind of a big deal. This one little thing is that there was a man who walked this earth named Jesus. He died, three days later he was resurrected, proving he was the son of God and that everything he said was true. Now listen, if you can't believe that, the rest of the evidence isn't going to matter to you, right? Because that's kind of like the basis for Christianity. But the rest of the stuff, I think we can go through historically, literary, we can go through all of these things and we can kind of show the evidence for the Bible. So let's jump in today. Uh, the first thing uh, that is really interesting is what the Bible says about itself. The Bible claims a lot of things about itself. The Bible talks about its authority, talks about its divine nature, talks about where it comes from. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, this is what it says. It says, knowing first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is where we get that the Bible was the inspired word of God. The Bible says that it is the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture right here about the Bible. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God. How much of scripture? All scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The point is the Bible claims to be a big deal. That doesn't prove anything. Growing up uh, in English class, my teacher would tell me all the time, you cannot use the word to define the word that you're trying to define. What does studious mean, Matt? Matt? Uh, studious, uh, to be studious, of course. No, you can't do that. The Bible, although it says and claims to be divine and it claims to be authoritative, that doesn't mean a whole lot but it does for the believers who believe it. Claims to be. The first proof that I have to you, for you, the first evidence that I wanna to present to you is the consistent message over time. Consistent message over time. Here's some things I think you need to know about your Bible. This is not one book. This is a collection of books, 66 in fact. 37 Old Test, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. This book from the oldest book that was written to the newest book that was written spans about 2,000 years, 2,000 years. Over 40 different authors, three different main languages that it was written in across many different continents that it was penned from. Yet, 
The message of the Bible is extremely consistent. From the beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation, there is a thread that runs through the Bible. It's incredible, the cohesiveness of the Bible. And many people would argue, what a coincidence. What a man-made coincidence that they did. Oh man, these guys got together and they were geniuses. Really? Over 2,000 years, 40 different authors, different languages, all of the things that were in front of them. How in the world did it happen? It's crazy. The Old Testament is full of things that point to Jesus, the foreshadowings that point to Jesus, that there is a coming Messiah that God was going to give through the nation of Israel. It's incredible and it's beautiful. And then the New Testament is full of Jesus and who he was and the teachings that he did and the amazing proof that we have that he is, in fact, the Son of God. It's a consistency that flows through time and it points to a divine creator. Oh, that's just coincidence. That's just lucky. That's just men, a conspiracy to get together to produce a religion that would control people. Man, what a coincidence. Man, they were really smart. Man, that's crazy how they orchestrated that over 2,000 years apart. Wow. It's pretty incredible. Not only do we have a consistent message over time, but I think the second point and the evidence I would, pre- I would present to you today is how the Bible itself was preserved over time the preservation of the Bible. I think it's really important for us to understand how we got the Bible. The story of how we got our Bible is almost as important as the story that's in the Bible. You realize that the first century Christians didn't have uh, the Bible. They had a collection of gospels, firsthand accounts and letters that the apostles wrote. And so in the first century, we've got the Roman empire. And in the first century, man, Christianity explodes. It explodes. All of a sudden, you've got, man, circulating stories of this man named Jesus, this prophet who could potentially be the Messiah, the chosen one that the nation of Israel had been waiting for for a long time. Not only do you have that, but man, this guy died and he rose again and there are witnesses of it and they find out that there were people who were there who saw him and they wrote down firsthand accounts. And so you could imagine in the first century in small little towns like Mansfield, Texas, what it would be like to get your hands on a copy of the account of Matthew. And not only would you be a believer in wanting to know, man, more about this Savior and this Messiah and how he was transforming your life, but you had a firsthand account and they would bring it to your city and you guys would read it, study it. Somebody would begin copying it down because this was the life in the words of our Lord. They would get copies of letters that the apostle Paul would write to the Corinthians or the Ephesians and they would get these things, they would start copying them down and so it spread like wildfire for about 300 years from the time that Jesus died to about 303. And we have Diocletian who in the Roman Empire writes this edict that makes Christianity illegal. And he says that all Christians have to recant of their faith and all Christian literature needs to be brought and burned. And if you were caught practicing Christianity or caught with Christian literature, that you would be put to death right right after you watched your wife and your kids be put to death before you. It was terrible. 
Yet we see throughout history, this first century Christians by the thousands who would risk their lives and even give their lives for the sake of the message. Why? Why would they do that? Because something in the first century happened that was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. This was no normal event. That this Jesus was no normal person. He was no normal man or prophet or someone who claimed to be the Messiah that many had before him. But this man was the son of God. And these accounts were of his life. And these inspired letters, the apostles, must be preserved. Because this wasn't just words man had penned. This was the word of God. It's the word of God. Fast forward to 324 where we get Constantine the Great in the Roman Empire and he cancels this edict. It was a great day. Christianity becomes the main religion of the Roman Empire. And now we have scholars who are able to work, assemble, begin to transcribe the works of God. And we finally, for the first time, around the, three, the late 300s, have an official canon or what we know of as today as the Bible. Now these ancient manuscripts that the early Christians preserved, protected, and died for are where our English Bible comes from. But here's a question, how can we trust these ancient manuscripts? How can we do that? Well, did you know that there's a lot of ancient manuscripts, not just in the Christian world, but in the secular world that we consider reliable, that we get a lot of our Roman uh, history, a lot of our first century history from? And guess what? The process that they use to transcribe this information is the same process used that the early Christians used to transcribe the Bible. So here's my question. If we can't trust the manuscripts that we found of the Bible, how can we trust any ancient manuscript that we have from the first century? Let's talk about some of these ancient manuscripts. Just comparison and numbers. Here's some ancient manuscripts that we have from uh, the ancient world. Anybody ever heard of Caesar? Right, Caesar? Okay, emperor, book called Caesar's Lives. We have 10 copies of the ancient manuscripts of Caesar. Those are considered reliable, 10. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Plato? Okay, kind of a big deal. We have seven copies of Plato's manuscripts that are considered reliable, okay? Any history majors in here? We got uh, this guy named Tacitus, right? You ever heard of Tacitus? Okay, pretty uh, big deal, um, Tacitus is where we get the primary source of Roman history. We have 20 copies of his manuscripts that are considered reliable, okay? What about the New Testament? New Testament, how many do we have of those? We have 24,633 manuscripts of the New Testament so far that we can compare, that we can look at. Now, here's the thing. Is that just a coincidence? Am I just inflating numbers here? Well, let's look at the second most that we have from the ancient world that is considered reliable. It's Homer's The Iliad. We have 634 copies or manuscripts of Homer's The Iliad that is considered reliable. We have 24,000 so far that has been found of the New Testament that we can go back and we can compare and we can look at and show that this is consistent over time, over and over, history will prove 
that these are inspired works. But what about the changes? Because I've heard, Matt, there's changes. Here's the bad news. There are changes. Thousands of them. So how can we trust the reliability of the Bible if there are thousands of changes? Well, let's talk about some of these changes. According to Dan Wallace, who is a leading New Testament papyrologist, 99.5% of these changes are, that are found in these manuscripts fall into these categories. The first one, spelling. 70% of these are spelling errors, okay? So, like John being spelled with two N's, that can, is considered spelling error. Oh, there's an inconsistency. Can't trust the Bible, right? How many of you love the fact that you have autocorrect now in your life, okay? For you older ones, spelling check in Microsoft Word, right? You're like, come on. Most of the ancient world was illiterate. The fact that they even were able to copy and create, man, was incredible. Of course there's going to be some human error. Spelling errors, 70% of them. The rest of them fall into things that are not translatable from the Greek or the Hebrew into English. Most of them have to do with the particle the. Greek is a really interesting, complicated language. So we have manuscripts, for instance, that say, John loves Jesus. We found some other manuscripts that say, the John loves Jesus. Oh, can't trust the Bible. It's different. My point is, these changes don't affect the message. What about the other 0.5%? Those gotta be the big ones, right? It's gotta be the crazy stuff. Let's look at some of them. 1 Thessalonians 2.7, this is one of the big ones. We have a manuscript that says this, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. We found another manuscript that says this, but we were like infants among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Well, which one is it, gentle or infants? You know the difference between gentle and infants in the Greek? It's one letter, Napier versus Apier. Which one is it? I don't know, can't trust the Bible. Doesn't change the message. Mark chapter nine, verse 29, this is one of the biggest discrepancies we have. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We found an older manuscript that says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. But here's the deal. Most of that is footnoted in your Bible. Look at the bottom of the page. It'll say, and some say, and fasting. Are there differences? Absolutely. But the point is, these differences do not change anything significant. What about the one where like, Jesus is married. We've all heard that from the Da Vinci Code, right? Jesus was married. Where's that one? Doesn't exist. What about the one where like Jesus faked his death? He put a doppelganger up on the cross. Three days later, he's like, surprise. What about that one? Doesn't exist. Over and over, over and over, we can see the preservation of the Bible was done with incredible accuracy. Hasn't changed the message. Not only was it preserved, but it's been proven historically accurate. Here's what's really interesting. In the Old Testament, we have over 360 messianic prophecies that were fulfilled in the New Testament. Not just the New Testament, but we have, we have, man, secular writings that will confirm those things. 
Here's one of them. This is awesome. This is a thousand years before Jesus. In Psalms chapter 22, David writes this. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, clothing they cast lots. David writes about Jesus being crucified a thousand years before Jesus is there. What's crazy is Psalms 22 is almost a direct parallel and quotation of Matthew chapter 27, verse 35, a thousand years before it. The other fascinating thing is that David speaks of crucifixion 300 years before it would even arrive in human history. Coincidence? Here's another one, Isaiah chapter 53, one of the most beautiful and astonishing passages about the prediction of Jesus. 700 years it was written before Jesus. It says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and his wounds, by his wounds we were healed. 360 messianic prophecies that you can see in the Bible are fulfilled in the New Testament. Crazy things that you can't control, like where Jesus was born, how he would die, some of the details that follow his death and his resurrection. How in the world did they know that? Not only do we have the Bible proving some things about the Bible, but we have the Bible even proving some things about history. Here's another really cool thing. We found some writings of Josephus, another ancient writer, and he writes about this time in 332, where Alexander the Great, anybody heard, ever heard of that guy, right? Pretty cool. By age 30, this guy had conquered what was basically the known world at that time. Guess what was in the middle of the known world? A little town called Jerusalem. He walks into Jerusalem, fixing to conquer. And when he goes into these towns, he demands money. He basically ransacks it, sometimes burns it down, takes captive people, all this crazy stuff. But when he walks into this town, the high priest of Jerusalem walks out and shows him Daniel chapter eight. Says, hey, bro, we knew you were coming. Daniel chapter eight talks about a Greek conqueror coming into their city. Alexander the Great reads it. Okay, we're good. Leaves the town intact. Crazy, crazy. How did the Bible know? Could it be that this is a divine work? Historically accurate over and over again. But I think the greatest evidence that we have of how we can tell and trust that the Bible is truth is through personal testimony. Personal testimony that this isn't a book full of opinions. This is a book that if you will give it some time, you'll discover the truth. It's the reason why in the Roman Empire in the first century Christianity, we spread like wildfire because they would see through personal testimony, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, neighbors, coworkers being transformed by the incredible works of a savior, that this was no ordinary man, that his words were no ordinary words, but they were the words of God himself. That you and I, if we pass this mic around this room, we would, we would begin to, man, proclaim and testify of the goodness and the faithfulness and the realness and the truth of God, that this, this word is not something that we just read, it's not something that we just gather and put churches together, but this word is transformational. That this word has the ability to lead and guide, to help you find life, to help you find purpose, freedom from sin, from addiction, 
from things that you could not be freed from yourself. No amount of counseling can do it. You need something bigger and better. But this word of God is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Our testimony, our personal testimony speaks of its truth. For those of us in here that have experienced it for ourselves, we don't need any of the other stuff because we know for ourselves that this is true, that God is who he says he is. We've experienced it. That God inserted himself into human history for us. He displayed his love perfectly on a cross. He preserved his teachings through the saints. Why? So that we may have life. Now listen, I I think there's definitely some people who struggle with faith. I think not being able to get on board with somebody dying and then being resurrected three days later, I think that's a pretty good reason for struggling with your faith. I get that. But for the rest of it, Well, the Bible's been changed. Well, the Bible was written by man. Well, there's so many differences from translation to translation. If we're honest, all that's just a smoke screen. In my experience, the conversations that I've had with people, with family and friends, with teenagers, with people I've had conversations with about the Bible, their big hangup is really not those things because most of the time we can move past those things. Their big hangup is that they're scared that the Bible is going to require them to change. They're not ready for that. Maybe you're not ready for that. Say, I'm just waiting for some proof, man. I'm just waiting for God to like, tell me this is what I need, but change, I don't know if I'm ready to give my control to something else. Because when you open this word and you read by the faithfulness and the goodness of God from Genesis to Revelations, you're confronted with the fact you're missing something that only he can give. There's sin that has separated you from God. There's sin that's keeping you from life and freedom. And this truth is hitting you right in the gut. Can I tell you the good news about this truth? God is not forcing it on you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him would have life. These words were written down and preserved throughout human history not so that we could gather together in a church, create cool logos with box C's on t-shirts so we could wear around Mansfield, Texas, even though it's really cool. So that you would have life. I love what the apostle John says in John, his book, his account of Jesus. Chapter 20, verse 31, he says, these things were written down so that you, you know who you is? It's you and me you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and by believing in him you may have life life truth is a 
really, really tough thing to wrap your mind around. For the most part, we want the evidence, how we know it's truth. Truth isn't something that you make up. Truth is something that you discover. Maybe today, what God is trying to help you get to is discovering the truth of who he is and how much he loves you. Maybe today's your day. Would you bow your heads with me today? If you're here today and you've never for yourself discovered the truth of the words of the Bible, the real person of Jesus, what he did for us on the cross and the way that he made so that you and I could get rid of the sin, the thing that separates us from God and be made right before a creator and holy God. If you've never done that, and you say, today is my day. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Man, would you just raise your hand where you're at? I wanna pray for you. I see you, I see you. Thank you, thank you. Right where you're at, if you raise your hand, and I, I wanna encourage you, just begin to talk to God. God, would you come into my life? Forgive me of my sins. Would your Holy Spirit help me believe, help me understand the truth of your words? For the rest of us, may we get so hungry for the truth and the words that God left us. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth, for the Bible, for this, this word that you left us, this story that you left us throughout history of the great links, the great love, the scandalous grace, man, that you went through to show us that you're real and what life really looks like. God, I pray for Christians in this room God, that we would leave this place with a confidence, Lord, that this word is good, this word is true, this word is trustworthy, so much so, God, that we would read it, God, that we would live it, that we would apply it, and because of it, we would be transformed by it. Thank you for this word. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like the content of this podcast, you're going to love our YouTube channel. Subscribe at youtube.com slash for video messages and full services uploaded weekly.